Joint preserving surgeries have evolved immensely over the past decade, giving hope to young athletes with non-arthritic hip pain that can return to the activities they love. The introduction of new rehabilitative and surgical techniques has proven to help restore functionality for athletes or even prevent the progression to osteoarthritis. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Banner Health's Making the Rounds, where we speak with medical professionals about diverse medical topics. I'm your host, Caitlin. Our conversation today will highlight the evolution of hip preservation treatment and how surgeons and physical therapists work together to treat patients of all ages, young athletes to weekend warriors and older patients as well. And with me today is John Ebinger, sports medicine physical therapist at Banner Physical Therapy, and Dr. Laura Vogel, hip preservation orthopedic surgeon at TOCA at Banner Health. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Caitlin. So hip preservation treats a full spectrum of hip disorders. Dr. Vogel, can you explain to our listeners a little bit more about what hip preservation is? Absolutely, Caitlin. So when we talk about hip preservation, we really mean treating non-arthritic hip conditions such as labral tears, femoral acetabular impingement, and hip dysplasia. Patients with mild arthritis may still be candidates for hip preservation, but it really depends on a number of factors about the patient. Hip preservation is a subspecialty field in orthopedic surgery that aims to help patients keep their native hips by correcting mechanical and bony abnormalities of the hip joint. We also take care of other soft tissue injuries around the hip, such as gluteal tendon injuries or hamstring tendon injuries. When a patient shows symptoms including hip pain with activity or even at rest, or mechanical symptoms in the hip such as catching or clicking, that's when it's time to refer them to myself to further assess the pain. So, John, in the physical therapy space, um, what sort of happens when a patient comes in with uh, hip pain? I know there's two sides of the spectrum here. Either they can start off with physical therapy or maybe they've been referred to you. Sure. It's a great question. Um, There have been several times where we've had athletes come in in what we refer to as a PT screen. So they haven't had an opportunity to see a specialist like Dr. Vogel. Um, Sometimes they might have some conversation with their athletic trainer Uh, parent or friend. Uh, But when they present with hip pain, I think it's important to ask specific questions. We really kind of play detective work with trying to either rule in specific pathologies at the hip or even rule out for that matter. So it's important with any joint to really assess not only that joint, uh, but joints above and below. You know, we're looking at the knee, we're looking at the pelvis in particular, the pubic symphysis or their SI joints to see if there's any kind of red flags that might be arising there which might lead us into thinking that it may not be the hip. Um, But I think this is where, you know, when it comes to sports physical therapy and even sports medicine as a whole with orthopedics is doing your specific, you know, special tests. You know, we're looking for signs of apprehension, signs of pain, uh, signs of clunking or clicking within the joint. So, for example, we might do like a hip scour uh, or a hip faber or fader exam or test. Uh, that can give us some early indications that we might be dealing, as Dr. Vogel mentioned, with some of these pathologies, whether um, it might be FII or femoral impingement syndrome that we might want to address. And then from there, it's a refer to, you know, orthopedics and, you know, kind of have that continuity and that collaborative communication with our sports team. And eventually that'll uh, be incorporated with the athletic trainer. And as long as we have all those parts at play, The key is getting a diagnosis as soon as possible so that we understand that we're tackling the right condition and the right problem and then having that communication be vast within the team so everyone knows their part, everyone knows basically their role that we can 
um, really give this athlete or this weekend warrior um, the most, you know, beneficial and um, optimistic approach to their care. When providers are assessing pain um, that their patients are expressing, it's really important to know red flags. Uh, in pedi pediatric patients, hip pathology can actually present with knee pain primarily and can be a sign of a skiffy or a slipped capital femoral epiphysis, which can require urgent surgery. Athletes in different sports can all have pain, but it may be due to different causes. Some so-called classic sports positions that are associated with femoral acetabular impingement are hockey goalies in the butterfly position, baseball catchers, and breaststroke swimmers. They will often have a more limited range of motion in comparison to artistic athletes like dancers or gymnasts who can often have hip dysplasia or a shallow hip socket that allows for their extraordinary hip range of motion. Hip pain in a young person is nothing to ignore. Hip dysplasia or femoral acetabular impingement can be missed on x-rays unless specific measurements are made to assess the anatomy of the joint, so it's important to refer them to a specialist for evaluation. Right, and today we're talking about that that partnership that you two have or collaboration between surgeons like Dr. Vogel and physical therapists like John. So when a patient is experiencing this type of pain, we don't just jump to surgery, correct? That's correct. We always exhaust conservative measures before evaluating surgical options. John, can you describe some of the conservative treatments that you use? Sure. So within the exam, and, and we see this quite often with, you know, uh, I'll use FAI for an example. You know, we really want them to be in a pain-free and asymptomatic, you know, state or range of motion. So a lot of times we'll enact uh, these acronyms called PALES and RAILS, which uh, which are progressive or regressive angular isometric loading, uh, which is a way that we can help train the central nervous system to activate and control a particular range of motion and actually increase those ranges uh, through various positions. And once we get them comfortable, um, it really begins, you know, from the ground up. You know, we want to start working on, you know, intrinsic stability of the hip, working on some dynamic control. A lot of times uh, I'll do, you know, perturbation and proprioception work uh, with them. And a lot of times that will start to build up confidence. Um, so if down the road, you know, these um, situations do result in uh, some invasive but still conservative as far as PRP uh, or then further down the road into actually having surgery, um, such as like a, an osteotomy to clear up a cam or pincer lesion and possibly even label repair or reconstruction. You know, these you know individuals or athletes are really undergoing at that point what we refer to as prehab. And the data in the literature really supports that those that engage in this kind of continuity of care, collaboration with the orthopedic surgeon and also the physical therapist, that their outcomes tend to be uh, much improved uh, because of the, they've kind of done their homework. They've gotten those structures the muscles surrounding the joint attenuated and, and a bit stronger. We've improved some range of motion uh, and it does seek for better outcomes um, if we start conservatively. And if it doesn't warrant surgery, then great, then we kind of we, we nailed it on the head. But if it does warrant, you know, more in, in, uh, invasive types of procedures, um, the outcomes do tend to uh, yield a better result. That's right. We really like to see our patients um, as strong as possible before proceeding to surgery, if that's what needs to ultimately take place. Um, every patient's injury um, and goals are unique, and there isn't one cookie cutter approach um, or procedure to help them. We really look at the injury itself, the health of their hip joint, the patient's lifestyle and activity goals to determine whether they're a candidate for a minimally invasive hip preservation surgery. For patients with femoral acetabular impingement surgery, 
primarily done arthroscopically to fix any damage inside the joint and reshape their bony anatomy as needed, either on the ball or the socket of the hip joint. These procedures were previously done with an open approach, but our arthroscopic techniques have advanced to the point that this is rarely necessary anymore. For patients with hip dysplasia, um, they will also undergo a hip arthroscopy to fix any damage inside the joint, but the main procedure to correct hip dysplasia is a periacetabular osteotomy or a PAO. This procedure is done with an open approach and realigns the shallow dysplastic hip socket to create normal hip anatomy and stability. Years ago, the only surgical option for many patients with hip pain was just to wait until they developed enough arthritis that they were able to have a total hip replacement. But today we're really utilizing many joint preserving surgeries for non-arthritic patients, again, primarily consisting of hip arthroscopy and realignment osteotomies. Right, so these are really not just cookie cutter approaches. John, I know you talk with patients too about setting those realistic goals, but sometimes it can be hard for athletic patients because they just want to get right back on the, the court or back in the game. How do you kind of talk to your patients about that? The biggest thing is education. Uh, they need to understand that, you know, this is a process and as much as we like to um, have advanced in not only surgical technique, uh, but also in rehabilitative techniques and interventions, you know, there actually has to be some realization as to the tissues and the surrounding osseous structures that need to go through healing. Um, so as long as the athlete or the individual has the the time frame, um, we like to, you know, go and steer away from the term protocol, more of a guideline um, to give them these these kind of windows of where we might be progressing from one phase to the next. But understand that, you know, within those guidelines, um, you know, not one surgery is alike, not one patient or athlete is alike. So how they heal, how they tolerate pain, um, you know, kind of how they go through the motions may be different. Uh, and also really having that conversation with the surgeon because, you know, uh, the best thing I like to look at is, is often uh, the operative report, seeing exactly what was seen inside the joint, you know, what was addressed, what was, you know, uh, repaired, reconstructed, um, how much uh, osteotomy had taken place, you know, around particular lesions. Um, so I think really when we have those things in mind and we kind of pull it all together, then the athlete understands direction, they understand milestones, and we really try to keep piggybacking off of those successes. So with one success, we move on to the next, and they really, you know, have to, what I refer to as embrace the chase. You know, you're really trying to get to that end result. You want to get back on the field. Um, you want to be returning not only to that prior level of, of function or where you had pain, but we actually want to be doing things as far as looking at uh, modifiable risk factors even further down the road so that we not only return these athletes uh, to the condition that they think they were at before, but we actually want to return these athletes to a better state thereafter and hopefully addressing things that may not have been picked up prior to surgery um, so that they can not only have a successful, you know, athletic career, but we actually can decrease the uh, likelihood of uh, re-injury or injuries to other parts of the extremity. John is exactly right that our goal is really to get our patients back to the athletic activities that they enjoy doing at the same level or even better than they were before. Part of my my job is to discuss the realistic recovery time for them after surgery. Um, for example, hip arthroscopy um, is the most common procedure that many of the patients are undergoing, and I'll typically tell them that on average, patients will return to hiking or light jogging around three to four months after surgery and a goal of full unrestricted sports by six to eight months. But obviously every patient is different and there are details about them and about the, their surgery um, and about their 
ability to progress that will change those time points. After a periacetabular osteotomy or a PAO, the recovery is a bit slower as it's a more invasive procedure. And I tell patients that they can have improvements in their pain and function really up to a year after surgery and to be patient with their recovery. Because again, everybody will progress differently through that time period. That's right. And being on the same page about recovery is really important. I like what you said, John, embrace the chase. I want to thank you both for taking the time to teach our audience about hip preservation and how it's really evolved from just hip replacements. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today's episode? Um, if I may, uh, with the targeted audience, I think, you know, as you know, Dr. Vogel uh, alluded to earlier with, you know, different types of pathologies, you know, sometimes, you know, age, uh, gender can play a factor uh, in looking at types of conditions at the hip. So if they're, for example, you know, hopefully six or younger, and they're starting to have, you know, significant hip pain, you know, one might be thinking like cap perthes, or if they're getting a bit older and they're an adolescent and they're um, on uh, more of a heavier scale and they're starting to have, believe it on early signs of medial knee pain with associated hip pain, we might be thinking possibly a skiffy. Um, so just kind of having um, some ideas and some uh, perspective as to these kind of categories of what might be present with, you know, various types of hip pathologies and, and really um, kind of addressing those and looking at red flags is Dr. Vogel mentioned too as well, uh, to really get that early diagnosis, I think, to start the process and make sure the athlete and also the team is on the right track. Absolutely. Just having a low threshold if you're uncertain um, to seek out a specialist that loves taking care of these problems. You know, I'm always happy to share my passion for hip preservation and getting our athletes back to what they love to do. Um, and I'm always available if people have questions. So thanks for having us, Caitlin. Same as well. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks for being here. Our listeners can learn more about these topics by visiting bannerhealth.com backslash services backslash orthopedics.